Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. All right, everyone, super, super excited for today's episode because, as you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is right around the corner, which means it is time for our usual predictions episode. And man, do we have a good one for you today. I know Katie and I are both really, really excited for this movie and also pumped to dive into all of this with you guys. So, Katie, why don't you kick us off? I'm really excited for this one, but I'm also really excited because the first few rounds of reviews have started to come out, and they have seemed really, really positive, and I'm not hearing a lot of negative things except outside of people who haven't seen it and are just being negative to be negative, so... I'm super excited on that aspect. I'm also super excited because I think this one has a lot of weight to it. And so I think it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we got the Cap trilogy, we got the Iron Man trilogy, and I can't really count Thor, but we got the Ant-Man trilogy. And they none of them really felt like endings, but I think it's been made very clear to us that this trilogy is co- is going to be coming to an end and this team is coming to an end. And so I think it just makes this a, even more... I don't want to say emotional, but partially emotional and partially just more impactful of a film that we're going to be seeing very soon. Yeah, I definitely agree. And speaking of some of those kind of early reviews that are coming out, the one that stuck out to me the most was Best Movie Since Endgame. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, that is a really, really big thing to say. So that gives me a lot of excitement. I know, you know, people are going to say whatever they want about Phase 4 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. There's been a lot of, you know, we all know, kind of a lot of negativity around the films. I think probably with the exception of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. However, you know, knowing that people are really gravitating towards this film, I'm really excited about it. I think I am more scared going into this film than I have been for any Guardians movie, just because of the things that have, you know, been said about, to your point, kind of the ending, but also just knowing how they're going to go out. James Gunn has made it pretty clear that it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, not just because of the end of the franchise, but we're going to lose some characters. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. Bring your tissues. That part I'm not necessarily looking forward to, but I think it'll be, you know, to your point, kind of weighty because of that. Yeah, and I I think too, I mean, he has even come out and said, you know, the movie's about two and a half hours. I would say that's long, but I feel like that's starting to be the average in the Avengers realm and the MCU realm. But, you know, he's even said, you know, it's not two and a half hours to get to one point to another or to waste time. Like every bit of that two and a half hours is important to this movie. And so I think that almost stresses me out a little bit more because I think that's been something walking out a lot of the film so far phase four before we even said, you know, this could have been cut. We could have sped this up a little bit. I didn't need 10 minutes of this, like whatever. And having the director, and of course the director's going to say it, but 
you know, having the director even clearly come out and say, I had to use every second that I was given to make this film. And every second of this film is important and needed to be included to tell the story. Um, just makes it feel even weightier. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I'm going to say before we dive into kind of our more deep dive topics that we want to talk about today is, you know, the one thing that I also saw, I just briefly saw, I think it was a headline or some kind of review. I'm not really sure. It was when I was doing my research was someone said, you know, it is like the end of the Guardians, but this movie is like so important for the MCU moving forward. So that's really exciting to me. You know, I think we saw obviously that impact that Ant-Man Quantumania had just because of the introduction of Kang and all of that, you know, and how that's going to move forward as we go towards Kang Dynasty and all of that. But I think from a space cosmic perspective, it'll be really exciting to see where Guardians takes us. You know, these characters have interacted with Kree. They've interacted with all kinds of different characters within that kind of cosmic realm. Now we know we have Nova on the horizon that's in development. So there's a lot of really cosmic stuff. Obviously, the Marvels later this year, there's a lot of cosmic stuff that's either in development or coming down the pipeline. And I think Guardians is going to, in the same way that Ant-Man kind of opened up the the multiverse for Phase 5, Guardians is really going to open up the cosmic realm for Phase 5. And I'm really excited about that. I think when we'll get into this later, I think there's some characters who are going to be introduced in this film who are going to see, you know, later on not just be confined to the Guardians franchise in this particular film. And I don't think it's a mistake that the only other film coming out and coming out right after this one is then the Marvel. So I don't think there's a mistake to have both of those very cosmically related, space-related films coming out right behind each other. Yeah, totally. And so to start us off with one of our kind of deep dive topics, we're going to take a look at Adam Warlock, who, if you all remember, was introduced briefly in one of the mid or end credit scenes of Guardians 2. And so we're going to just take a look at who is the character, how they might fit in to this film. And Katie, I know you were really excited to talk about him, so I'll let you kick him off. Yeah, he's an interesting character because we waited in the MCU. It feels really long um but we waited a couple years to really see this end credit scene come to fruition because you know obviously we had Thanos we had the snap we had all that but what's interesting is on top of all of it you know Thanos is actually one of his bigger foes he fights him a lot in the comics so I think when he first was kind of hinted towards a lot of people were really excited thinking he was going to make the appearance into Infinity War or even Endgame. And obviously we didn't see that happen. And, you know, with everything that's happened in the MCU, I also think this was almost a forgotten end credit scene until the trailers came out. Just because, you know, I think the Guardians aren't always the most focused on franchise. And then on top of that, I also just, so much has happened. I mean, we had a whole snap and blip take place. So he's a pretty interesting character because he's essentially a cooler version of Vision. And a lot harder to kill than Vision. So, you know, it'll be kind of interesting to see how he kind of brings into the MCU almost a better version. But also we have White Vision now. So I would like actually kind of enjoy seeing the two of them meet. But similar to Vision, he like actually is very well known to being the bearer of the Soul Stone. So I also think that's kind of interesting how he has one stone and Vision kind of would have his Mind Stone. It was, it's just, they have very interesting similarities between the two of them. Yeah, and I think, too, like, one of the things that you hinted at when you talked about him being kind of an adversary of Thanos 
What's interesting about Adam Warlock and the way he's portrayed in the trailers, even though we don't have a lot of footage, the footage we do have portrays him ha- as an adversary against the Guardians. You can clearly see him beating up on Nebula like he is the bad guy. At least that's what the trailers want us to think. However, what is the truth in the comics is that he's actually a good guy. He has, you know, a very strong moral compass. He is a guardian of the galaxy in the comics. He's part of the team. And I'm sure we'll get to that later. But for all of those reasons, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of Adam Warlock after this film. I consider this film kind of his true introduction into the MCU. And he's going to supersede the Guardians franchise and not going to be one of those characters who you just see kind of come into this franchise and then the franchise ends and we're not going to see Adam Warlock again. Like we may be sunsetting Rocket and Peter Quill and Gamora and those characters, but I think you're now seeing the birth of Adam Warlock kind of as that, you know, maybe lead within the cosmic realm alongside Captain Marvel, which are kind of the two main cosmic franchises in the MCU right now. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think what's pretty interesting about him is he, well, for one, I want to start, there was a little bit of this idea in the comics of him not necessarily starting out as the best, but just to give a small background, he was actually originally created on Earth and then, and he was created to be a perfect human and to pretty much be like the next step in our evolution. And uh, he was like, no, you guys are all sucky for creating this and me being the reason. Like, he he pretty much didn't agree with why he was made and what the creators were trying to do. So he rebelled. Um, He eventually comes across the high evolutionary. We'll get there talking about that. But what's really interesting is, like, we clearly didn't see that and that's not going to be his full origin in the MCU just off of what we've already known. We know who created him. We saw it at the end of Guardians 2. So it's kind of interesting. We're going to have a little bit of a different start with him from the get-go. So that makes me curious because some of his powers, just briefly, because he has quite a few, based off superhuman strength, superhuman speed, he has cosmic senses, immortality, which I'll get to in one moment. Uh, He can manipulate energy, and he can also adapt and form new powers by entering this cocoon-like I, I don't even know what to call it, like a cocoon-like shape thing. Well, essentially what we saw him in in Guardians 2. Like, he just goes back in there, and then if he's dead, he comes back out alive. If he's nearly dead, he comes back out pretty much healed if he's in there long enough. Like, it's just essentially like his regeneration chamber. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of allows him to be immortal, but on top of that, that over time, he can actually, like, adapt as you know, humans did over time and everything else and create new powers for himself or adapt to a situation depending on what he's in. So I would say that makes him a pretty interesting foe and I'll be intrigued to see how he switches sides. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, going back to the idea that he is a member of the Guardians, or sorry, a member of the Guardians in the comics and knowing that Sylvester Stallone is reprising his role from Guardians 2, you know, and I think he's a Guardian, if I'm remembering correctly, He's a guardian in the comics as well, his character at least. So I'm almost wondering if we're going to see maybe like another version of the Guardians. That's a possibility, I think, after this, you know, particular run of the team ends. The same way that we had one roster of Avengers with the OG6 plus the additional that they kind of picked up on the way. And now we're seeing a completely new roster post this like really watershed moment. So 
you know, I'm wondering if that's the root. There's also, you know, other cosmic beings coming into play. Nova is in development. We have Captain Marvel out there doing her thing. Is he going to have more interactions with some of those other cosmic characters that the, the Guardians really didn't? I mean, we saw them fight Kree. Where the heck was Captain Marvel? We talked about that in our replay episode. You know, it's kind of weird that Ronan was out here doing his thing, trying to destroy Xandar, and Captain Marvel, you know, obviously we know why, logistically, but it's definitely weird that she wasn't there. So I think it could be interesting to see some of these more cosmic characters actually interact, and he could be an interesting one that I would like to see kind of be a part of whatever that might be cosmically. Yeah, and I mean, I actually personally, and this is me saying this now, and you can book me for it and yell at me and I'm wrong, but I actually think the Guardians of the Galaxy themselves, the name is sunsetting as well. I don't actually think we're seeing a reboot of the Guardians, um, the same way we're going to continue to see the Avengers team keep coming. I genuinely think the Guardians ends at this movie, and then whatever comes next will be a new team Probably one from the comics. I would imagine they're going to pull one of the teams. It's probably one of the ones that I would think Adam's been a part of just to keep continuity. But we've seen before, too, that, you know, the Avengers roster can get a little funky as well. So I'm not I can't I'm not going to claim on that. But I do actually think we're not going to continue to have any Guardians past this film. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think between the two, like some kind of team up with the cosmic characters and a new version of the Guardians, I think the cosmic characters is more likely. Just also knowing, you know, James Gunn, this is kind of his brainchild in the sense of like bringing it to life on film. And we all obviously know what his new job is over at DC. So I think without him, I really struggle to see the MCU moving forward with any type of Guardians. But just again, knowing that Stallone is back in, it does kind of make me wonder a little bit if they're gonna, I don't know, maybe try to reboot it in a different way or rework it with a new a new set of characters. So I'm just not taking that off the table, but definitely agree the cosmic team up is kind of more more likely just based on kind of all of the factors that are going into it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just, I'm going to call that as as a prediction now. Just go off of it. Just especially because I think the way it's been talked about, I just, it feels like this is a, this is an end, you know? Totally. We are definitely going to pop into all things high evolutionary in one moment, but I do want to quickly add one more thing that I thought was really interesting about Adam Warlock. Actually, two quick things. One... He does, in one comic storyline, team up with our good friend Kang the Conqueror. So that's an interesting and strange team up right there, considering bad guy, good guy, a little odd. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that I think is even more interesting is he actually has an alter ego of himself that in one timeline he becomes this character called Magnus, which is the leader of the Universal Church of Truth. And Magnus is not a good guy. So there is a version of him that is actually evil, which is also interesting. I don't think that's the version that we're going to see on screen in this movie, but an evil version of him does exist. I think if we get more of him, I wouldn't be shocked to see that play out on the screen later on. I agree. All right. And moving into the High Evolutionary, who is very tied to Adam Warlock in the comics. In a lot of ways, Adam Warlock is kind of his protector. He's kind of his right-hand man. 
And he is actually a dude from Earth, the high evolutionary. His name is Herbert Wyndham. And the most interesting thing, in my opinion, about him is his laboratory on Earth is in this little place called Wondagore Mountain. Which, if that name is ringing any bells for you all, we happen to see in Multiverse of Madness. It is the location of the shrine to the Scarlet Witch. It is where Wanda's quote-unquote final moments took place, and it's the mountain that she took down at the end of the film. So that is a very, very interesting tie there to that very important mountain in that film. The one thing I will say relating to that is he is actually the person who gives Wanda and Pietro from their birth mother to the Maximoffs. Now, I'm going to throw something out there. We all know we've seen the Maximoffs, the parents. We've seen how they are killed, obviously, in the shelling, Stark, all that good stuff. We saw that happen. Wanda talked about it between Age of Ultron and, of course, WandaVision. Now, it would be interesting to see it play out that perhaps if her mother was, you know, not a mutant and that's the route they're going to go, that she is, that Wanda's a mutant but her mother was not and her father was not, perhaps they are going to potentially look at this storyline where the twins were not raised by their birth parents. I think that's a really interesting way to kind of get around some of the strange things they had to do with all the rights around Wanda and her naming and who she truly is and why it took her so long to come into her own. So that was a really, really interesting bit that I came across when I was researching that I like zeroed into immediately. Okay, so I have a lot to say and not a lot to say at the same time. First off, I'm going to share, I'm offended because I wanted to share this story because I'm the Wanda girl. (laughs) So I am a little offended. It was the headline. I was leading with the headline. I wasn't bearing the lead. A little offended, nonetheless. But yes, I also, when I read that, I actively gasped because I was like, well, obviously I put, put I was putting together the whole Wondagar, Vondagar, whatever you want to call it, mountain. I was like, okay, but like reading the active story of how the twins come around. So to go a little bit more into depth. Pretty much there was this woman who was carrying twins. She went up to Wondergar Mountain trying to seek shelter. At the same time, I'm not going to get into names so people don't get really confused. Uh, somebody who was working with Herbert released, we battled this name before, Kython? Chithon? Kython? You know, we know the Lord of the Chaos Magic, essentially, who was banished away in Wondergar Mountain. As they were battling him, the woman went into labor, and that kind of at the exact same time, he was defeated as Wanda and Pietro were born. She was the one who received the chaos magic from that kind of, like, at the same time incident, and that's kind of how that took place. I actually very much support your theory that who we saw in WandaVision are not their real parents. And hearing this story, I very much can get behind you know, this woman, because as we know in the comics, who else is, who's actually their father, Magneto? Oh, shoot, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah, so, you know, this woman to me is very much, you know, if we bring that part of the story in, which I think is a really great way with the high evolutionary now being brought in with Guardians, I think we could very much be like, hey, actually, you know, this is how this happened. Um, and this woman was carrying Magneto's children, and that's why they're mutants, 
And, you know, all these like things sort of happened all together. And this is how the story really began, not what Wanda thought she knew. So I'm 100% behind that theory because I fully find a great way to be able to explain now how they're actually Magneto's children. Yeah, I did not even think about that. The only thing that it gets a little hard and they may just change it. I don't know how they would because it's kind of... It's very important to who the character is, but, you know, Magneto does live through World War II. He is in a concentration camp, and so I don't know timing-wise, you know, how that would work, because he would be pretty significantly old. I mean, men can have children a lot later than women can, of course, but that kind of is a little challenging in terms of timing, because again, like, being a survivor of the Holocaust as a Jew is very integral to the character in the comics, so... I just don't know timing-wise how that would work out. But again, like, time jumps. There's, like, it's comics. Like, you can make a lot happen to make that timing true and also his fathering the twins. Yeah. I think there would be just some working around there, and I don't think that would be too hard for them to figure out. I mean, for all we know, they could be like, they were, you know, paused in time for 10 years in some magical thing. Like, And we would all sit there and we'd eat it up. Yeah, totally. But I really love that. I love that this character kind of opens an avenue for Wanda and the Scarlet Witch to really get back to her comic roots. You know, we've talked so much about how awesome WandaVision was for doing that and getting her obviously into the Scarlet Witch mantle and becoming who she truly is. But I think the thing that we were most excited about is what that truly opens up. You know, things like House of M and and all of that. But you can't really have House of M without having her true father. Because Magneto is such an important part of that story. And so it's tough to, like, think about where she is now without having her be truer to her comic book counterpart. And the fact that this character allows us to get back through some like retconning that does not actually negatively affect anything we've seen up until this point is so exciting to me. And I know Lizzie came out recently and was like, I don't actually have a contract with Marvel. I think that's sure that doesn't bother me at all. You can sign it tomorrow. And like, that would still be true today. So that doesn't bother me. Scarlet Witch is coming back. The opportunity to have this retcon done at some point through this character is amazing. And I think it's going to open up a lot of storylines. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully House of M being one of them. Agreed. Fully agreed. But to keep us on track of the high evolutionary, because I know that's a great track to go down. And I think I could talk about, well, and I can talk about Wanda for about 72 hours in one sitting (laughs) to bring us back to the high evolutionary. This guy is kind of weird. Uh, He's very much into science, but, like, into science he shouldn't be into. And that's, like, genetic manipulation and all that kind of stuff, which, like, we've seen. That usually doesn't really end well when you play with genes and things like that. And one of the things he actually creates over time is something called the new man species almost. And it's like these mixes of animals that he's found like locally around and men, which create like essentially Rocket. Think of Rocket. He's not directly tied to Rocket in the comics as far as him being the version the or him being responsible for him being created. However, that does not seem to be where we're going with the MCU. He seems to be the being who created Rocket, which does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um and so like him not being the one behind it in the comics is kind of weird just because 
like reading his background, you're like, oh yeah, he made Rocket. And then you're like, oh no, he didn't. It's one of those changes that you almost are like, why didn't they do this in the comics? Like, it's such a natural fit that it's, like, so much easier. Yeah, like, he's so naturally, like, he's literally created, like, he created pretty much a whole team worth of these, like, hybrid animal-human mixed beings and to kind of be like, oh, but Rocket, the best-known one, pretty much, not being one of the ones he created is, like, very, very strange to me. So I'm kind of glad that the MCU is, like, taking away whatever weird middleman came from, like, in between the actual dude who did the science behind it and then Rocket, and they just kind of said, no, this makes sense, and we're just going to marry these two storylines together. Yeah, it's interesting, just to quickly go into Rocket for a second, his whole origin story is on this planet of people who, they call them the loonies, and they're, like, mentally ill, and then there's, like, robot caretakers, and then the robot caretakers leave. It's, like, a very, like, kind of out there story, so I definitely understand why they chose not to adapt that into the comics and make it kind of that more... Well, one, to tie it to the high evolutionary, but also to make it more, you know, give it more weight. I think we've, you know, we've had those hints at kind of the torture that Rocket has gone through. There have been shots of obviously the pins in his spine in the past that we've seen that obviously are meant to hint at the genetic and just general manipulation that he's gone under physically. So to me, it makes a lot of sense to tie these two together. And I'm very happy they did. 100%. Like, I definitely agree there. And I think, you know, the High Evolutionary is a complicated character as well, just because he, part of his whole endeavor was also to almost create, like, the perfect next species, which, once again, why are we doing that? Let's stop, because it never ends well. And so when he eventually goes into space, and that's obviously where we're going to see him here, um, so we won't be seeing, I don't think, anything with Wondegar or Wondegar, Wondegore. <laughs> I'm just renaming the mountain, however I want to rename it. <laughs> however here, you, you know. feel today, that's the new name of the mountain. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll say it however I want it. But I don't necessarily think we'll see that aspect unless we're seeing a like any sort of a flashback, which I wouldn't necessarily, especially if we're telling the story of Rocket in tandem here. That might be possible. I don't know how far they're going to go back or they're just going to show by the time Herbert Wyndham makes it into space. Maybe that will be where we see those storylines connect. Not 100% sure. Um, But this guy's kind of like, he's just, I give him the mad scientist kind of title. He really is just doing a lot of things he probably shouldn't be. Um, At one point, he like, in the comics, he tries to create something for the Hulk to make the Hulk like a certain thing, and instead it ends up injecting himself with it, which is why he goes a little weird at one point. It's just, there's a lot. And I think this character is actually one to look at and You know, Adam Warlock might be a really good example of a good soldier, of a good, someone I wouldn't want to be in a fight, but someone who would be good in the fight, to be put in the fight. But I see the High Evolutionary as somebody, this is the mastermind at the end, and this is the person who, to me, I'd be more fearful of. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of the other things I thought was really interesting about him is he creates this group called the Knights of Wondagore. And I think you guys might recognize some of the names of the more notable members, such as Quicksilver, 
Makes sense, considering, you know, he's kind of responsible for his adoption. Wolverine, who we all know we're getting back in Deadpool 3. And Black Knight, who we saw at the end of The Eternals. Which leads me to my next little point about the High Evolutionary, which is that he has conflicts with the Celestials in the comics. Mm. This should not be shocking news, at least it wasn't shocking to me, considering who else likes to manipulate planets' evolution, in this case humanity, Well, the Celestials. That's literally their whole thing. And so it would make sense that if they have competing aims, but yet the same kind of, like, methodology, that they're gonna have conflict. So I also think it could be a really good time to tie the Eternals in more to the MCU than they were previously in their own movie. You know, there are obviously hints, they reference Thanos, all of that stuff, But Guardians has been the one franchise that has really tied to Eternals and Celestials and that whole idea. And I think bringing in a character like the High Evolutionary is just adding another layer of how they can do that and really, again, make the Eternals more of a prominent group within the MCU. Because literally, have you heard anything other than that little hint in or Easter egg in She-Hulk of what they did and their whole thing? No, you haven't. So. This is the moment, I think, personally, we're going to get something related to the Celestials and the Eternals in this film. Well, and what if I said from the beginning? I'm pretty sure I've said it since Eternals. The only actual series I could see them being tied into in the MCU most seamlessly would be Guardians. Beyond that, I think you're going to have to start to stretch and pull before it starts to make sense to get them to fit in. But you don't have to with Guardians. And and while I think there's a lot of questions that we kind of unlocked when we were doing our replay series, especially with Guardians 2, a lot of these questions still had to do with how Eternals and Guardians now could could explain the Celestials and how all that works. So they definitely run in the same background, and I'm not... I I would not be shocked to see any of that kind of get all come together. Well, and not to mention, quickly just taking a step back to Adam Warlock, he is really close in the comics with Pip the Troll, and I was like, why do I know that name? Well, because a certain singer turned actor happened to be in a scene with Pip the Troll at the end of The Eternals. So Star Fox and Pip the Troll, Harry Styles' character in The Eternals, made an appearance together at the end in one of the end credit scenes and Adam Warlock has a relationship with Pip the Troll. Does this mean that Harry Styles is secretly in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I'm not sure. Our computers are not working very great right now so I can't see Caitlin's face but I'm sure she's very excited. I do have some things to say. First, I have to say, Harry has looked like he's been back on the Marvel workout, so it's possible. But second, I will say what's even more interesting about that connection is the fact that we've already said Adam and Thanos have such a rivalry almost in the comics that I find it really interesting that Adam has this connection to Thanos' brother who we already said is so polar opposite of who Thanos is. So I think it's kind of funny that those two seem to have found each other. Yeah, totally. Well, through Pip the Troll, I don't know how Star Fox and Adam are related in the comics, but they do have at least MCU Star Fox is related to Pip the Troll, then Pip the Troll in the comics is related to Adam. Not related, like, biologically, like, family-related, but, like, six degrees of Kevin Bacon-related, if that makes sense. I still, I mean, I, and I would need to do a deep dive, but I wouldn't be shocked because I'm pretty sure Pip's very well known to be like 
Star Fox is like right hand man. Probably. I just I don't I don't know that super well yet. I didn't do a deep dive on Star Fox. I'm sure you are ready and willing to do that, and it'll probably end up in the blog, so check it out there. But yeah, that is all I had for High Evolutionary. Is there anything you wanted to add, Kate? Not really. Just that I would keep an eye out on this guy because he's kind of crazy. Yeah, totally. Now, we hinted at our good friend Little Rocket previously and how his origin story has kind of been adapted from the comics. So we won't go back into that, but we really did want to talk about how he's kind of secretly the protagonist of these films. I saw last year or at some point, I don't know when, someone pointed out, they were like, you know, everybody says that Guardians of the Galaxy, the main character, the main guy, is Peter Quill slash Star-Lord. But actually, I think it's Rocket. And if you take that lens, we talked about this in a replay episode as well. If you look at Guardians 1 and Guardians 2 through that lens, you can actually see how so many of the decisions or so many of the pivotal emotional points actually come back to Rocket. Think about Rocket making the decision not to go back for some of his teammates in Guardians 2. You know, so it really shows how he has to evolve and how he has to learn to let people in. And now in this final film in the franchise, we're going to see his origin. We're going to see how he went through so much torture to be who he is now. We're going to see Lila, who is his partner in the comics. So there's going to be some really, really interesting background on this character. And I think he's actually going to be, you know, the focus more than probably any other character. I actually think what's most interesting to me is the Guardians trilogy, and part of this is the fact that the Guardians are a team, and they're not like Captain America um, or Iron Man or whatever, and it's one main character they're focusing on. But I think it's kind of interesting because I... Personally, when I look back at the first film, I don't really look at it and I'm like, oh, I could see where it's, you know, on Rocket. I do, but I do think, I mean, even think about the beginning opening scene. I mean, here we are with Peter. Yeah. However, I could understand people's argument of, well, number two is a lot about Peter, too, with his dad. Yes, but if you don't, and you shouldn't forget, the whole underlying B-plot is Rocket. Yep. The whole thing. And so while, yeah, they're dealing with a celestial, Rocket is dealing with a lot of other things in this B-plot, and they spend a lot of time on the B-plot. Like, we are jumping back and forth the whole film until they all meet up. And then I do expect this last film to actually have the higher focus on Rocket. So it's funny because it actually feels more like it was Peter, and then they kind of both shared the limelight, and now I feel like the majority of it will be Rocket. And so it's kind of interesting because it, it didn't feel like it started necessarily that way, but I can definitely see it ending that way and where we got to that point. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it'll be really interesting, you know, to see that culmination, especially, you know, that second film, you kind of call it like the transitional film. It's the teeter-totter film where it goes from, you know, high on the Star-Lord and low on the rocket to kind of middle. And now we're high on the rocket, low on the Star-Lord. And I think one of the interesting things, and you talked about it being the B-plot, but I think one of the interesting things about the second movie is Rocket's evolution as he learns to love people. And I think now he has to face his past but knowing that he has people with him. And I think so much of the trailer has shown kind of how he is willing to go face that for the first time because he does have that support system. So from even just the character development standpoint, I think it'll be really interesting 
to see that kind of culmination of who Rocket has been throughout these films, even, you know, including Infinity War and Endgame when Groot calls him dad, like seeing how he has evolved and how this is going to be kind of his final swan song, but also understanding how he has to then reconcile who he is now with the man who made him and all of that. And, you know, arguably there's a lot of self-hatred there too. So like, there's just going to be a lot of layers of really digging into Rocket's psyche, and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, and actually, as you were kind of saying that, I honestly, I, I've started to kind of see Rocket very similar to, like, the Winter Soldier, created when he didn't want to be used as a weapon, made into something he's not. And so I think I, I am very intrigued to kind of see him almost now do what but we saw Bucky sort of do in the Falcon and Winter Soldier and make those amends in his own life and and kind of face what he went through and look at it head on and kind of be like, okay, I need to get through this. I need to to move past it. And maybe not necessarily as much as we saw with Bucky because obviously I don't really feel like we saw Bucky facing Hydra in that same way, but I definitely think we'll be seeing Rocket facing the person who created him and, and caused him the, the biggest part of his harm. Yeah, definitely. It'll be very emotional for sure, but I think really cathartic to be able to see Rocket kind of complete his journey. I agree. And we'll talk about, you know, how we think this movie's going to shake out in one second. We have a whole very morbid section coming up for all of you. But the first <laughs> thing, before we get to that, we do want to talk about one other thing that is kind of you know, been nagging on a lot of people. I know it nags on us based on what we know now about time travel. But how or when, or when, how and when, how are they going to find Gamora? When are they going to find Gamora? Because if you notice in some of the trailers, she's there and some of the trailers, she's not. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's not going to be that important. Like, I think they're going to start they're going to just, like, find her, and it's going to be, like, a quick five-minute scene. I don't really think it's going to be the focus of the film. As we've talked about, I think the focus is really going to be Rocket and his kind of meet-your-maker moment, like, literally. And so I think they're just going to, like, in a very Guardians way, really awkwardly, like, smash her over the head, tell her who she is, and she's going to, like, agree to go with them like in just like a you know they're like so goofy I feel like that's just like gonna be it you know it's not gonna be this like big moment I think then throughout the film you're gonna have those moments where Quill tries to create a connection with her because obviously she doesn't feel the way he does but that's not gonna be that's gonna be the b or the c plot like that's not gonna be the big thing that has nothing to say with how she is even allowed to still be here considering the tva and all that but um yeah, that's kind of my prediction. I don't think we're actually going to spend that much time on it, to be honest. Well, so I was actually, I've been mainly focusing on just like the how. Um, and so I'm glad you kind of mentioned it a little bit because that bothers me a lot. Um, <laughs> like, and I guess like maybe I'm supposed to take a lot more faith in the TVA when they were just like, everything the Avengers did was supposed to happen. And maybe I'm supposed to understand that that is the loophole that means that anything that I've been questioning since Endgame was supposed to happen. Naturally, we all know Taylor and I don't feel that way. There's a lot of things that we still don't understand and we don't understand how they're able to have happened and how they're able to just be moved on from and we're supposed to just accept it. 
Um, and this, to me, is one of them. And I know we we actually had this conversation before, uh, and I can't really remember why we got onto it. And it probably was relating to Loki, now that I'm thinking about just knowing that's where we met the TVA. But I don't get it. I don't get how, you know, she came from the 2014 timeline and is out here now. Like, now it's like 2023. And I don't really understand how we get to see that and how she's not considered a variant. I don't really get that. Or if she's considered a variant, I don't really understand why she's allowed to live. Like, I feel like that's creating a timeline. Like, Argamora died. And so technically she shouldn't be allowed to just replace her. That doesn't make sense. Here's a question for you. And I don't necessarily want to spend the rest of this episode talking about it, though I know we could. Does someone become a variant the second that they time travel? Like, so hear me out. The Avengers, they time travel. Technically, they were allowed to do it, right? That's what Ravona said. But what if the whole loophole is that as long as you're from another time, but the same timeline, you're allowed to exist? Because think about it. She's not Gamora from another universe. She's still this universe's Gamora, just from a different time. Which I, okay, so I hear what you're saying. My only problem with it, though, is it's not her time traveling. That's my issue. It's the fact that because Gamora is supposed to die in uh, what, 2018? Any living that she's doing in Gamora's name, regardless, it's like if our Loki, the one from the 2012 timeline, came back in 2018 and started living Loki's life. That doesn't make sense because Loki dies. Yes, but it's not a very, like, it's not creating another timeline. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's existing within it? 616, not necessarily. But, but, because... Variants are made when something happens that's not supposed to happen. So you're telling me she's supposed to come back and take the place of her now already supposed to be dead person? Yes. And then live a life and continue living that life? That doesn't make sense. Why not? Why is that not feasible? Because why is that supposed to be why the ta- how the timeline works? That doesn't make sense to me. Why couldn't it be? I, I just don't understand... Okay, so if, if we're going to say everything that's happened up until this point is part of the sacred circle, it's how he who remains, I guess it's how he who, is, is it he who remains? I don't even know what variant of Kang we're supposed to be even looking at now for what's true and real. But if we're looking at 616 as the sacred circle, the one true timeline and everything that happens in 616 is supposed to happen, because we had the TVA up until a certain point that we're unclear when that stopped, then... If she's from 616 and she just came to another, you know, part in time, why is that any more questionable about whether that's supposed to happen than, say, Tony becoming Iron Man? Like, why is that not supposed to happen? I guess is my question. I just don't see how, like, I think if we weren't dealing with death, I would probably be like, oh, I could maybe argue more. But I just, like, when a person dies i don't see how regardless of what happens like i don't see how they're a past version of them is supposed to come back and take their place that just like feels very weird to me that that's what the sacred timeline creates because to begin with i mean we even have to remember loki even mentions the avengers traveling back in time and because the tv is like oh they were supposed to do that cool but like the avengers were Who's to say Gamora coming back with Thanos and doing that whole thing and now just being on the loose in this part of time was supposed to happen? Well, he had to come back because they had to kill him. So, like, they're they're just like, that had to come back. Right, but she didn't have to come with him. Right, 
But here's here's what I'm going to say to you. One, to your whole thing about like death being the one thing you can't get over, I think death is actually the perfect opportunity because now we don't have two Gamoras. Like if, if Gamora won, like our original Gamora had evolved, had stayed alive and was not sacrificed for the soul stone, we'd have two Gamoras and then that to me is more likely to create a variant than if we just had one. But now we just But now have- there's a hole in the 2014 timeline. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a physicist. Yeah, see, you're, you're going off on the argument, but if this Gamora came up, we know that's not what's supposed to happen. But there's also now not a Thanos there either, cause he's dead. So there would be a new timeline. No. Cause it had, he had to die. Well, there'd have, okay, this is what I don't understand, but now you're seeing where I don't get this. Because, okay, here we are, we're traveling across, our sacred circle. Yeah. And we are in year 2014. Okay, we see what happens in 2014. We see Gamora come up with the the Guardians. They join a team. Cool, 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 cool. Besties. We see Thanos not happy that his favorite daughter has been alienated. He is still after her stones. We see everything that happens from 2014 to 2018. We're going to not include Endgame right now. So we see everything that happens. We see Gamora interacting with the Guardians. We see Gamora get taken by her father to go get the Soul Stone. So, okay, here we are. We see all of this. Yeah. Okay. Then we fast forward to now 2023. This is where we are after the blip. Gamora's been dead. People who are dusted have returned. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We go to 20... Well... Yeah, it's 2023. I'm getting screwed up because I'm thinking of our time. It's 2023 in the MCU when this happened. It was 2019 for us when Endgame came out. Yeah. Now we're here. We go back in time. We do the whole hoopla. And we take 2014 Thanos into 2023. And then Gamora from 2014 comes with him. We kill him. And then she's on the escape. Cool. However, we have, in the sacred timeline, we have witnessed what happened in 2014 and all the effects afterwards. So would there not now be a hole where there, that Thanos and that Gamora are not going to live out the rest of those years? I'll see you in a minute. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Don't do that. That hurts. But listen, because if they are time traveling, like, I guess my thing is, like, maybe time moves differently. So, like, maybe they, like, never left. Like, I just, I don't, I guess I what I don't understand is, like, if you are time traveling from one place in your, on your timeline or circle, you're moving from one place on your circle to another place on your circle. Are you gone? Like, that answer. But think about this. When the Avengers went back in time, they were gone. They were not in 2023 anymore. Yeah, but time moved differently, so they were gone for hours, but actually only gone for a minute. Fine, but they killed Thanos in 2023, and Gamora stayed in 2023. I don't know, okay? I don't know. Thank you, that's all I wanted. I didn't <laughs> want an answer, I just wanted your defeat. You just backed <laughs> me into a corner. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so to for the long-winded answer, I really don't know how Gamora is able to just kind of live out her life in 2023. But to your point, I don't see us seeing a whole, like, quest. No. Like, I'm pretty sure we're gonna kind of have the quest unassumed thing, like, after the end of, or I guess the beginning of Thor, Love, and Thunder, after the Guardians leave, like, I think we're to assume they went, looked for Gamora, they found her. Yay! Like, I don't actively think we're going to see this all take place on screen. I think it'll be quick, she'll rejoin, and we just move forward. I think we'll see it on screen because if you think about it, like there are scenes like that scene where Drax hits that little girl in the face with the ball. Like Gamora's <laughs> not there. 
right? Like, if you notice, they come out in their suits and there's no Gamora. Like, I think that scene is very early on in the film. They're on their quest to find Gamora. I think they find her. But it's like, I'm saying they just don't spend a half an hour on it. Well, uh, no. Well, yeah, I agree. But I'm also like, I'm just saying, like, I think this search has probably been a lot longer. We're not going to see the whole search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Like, I think, you know, when they packed it up in Thor Love and Thunder, they were probably on their way still. Like, they've probably been actively searching. I don't think we're we're not seeing a whole search. We're going to see the end of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. That has been the segment called Gamora and Time Travel, which is confusing. (laughs) And did we solve anything? No. No. That is the whole name of the segment, Gamora and Time Travel, colon, that is confusing. Now, moving on to our most morbid segment ever on this podcast, Who Will Survive and Who Will Die? It has been well documented that there are not going to be quite as many survivors in this film as there have been in the past. And look, this franchise has shocked me in the past with some of their very emotional deaths. I'm looking at you, Yondu. But I will say I think we're going to get quite a few more Yondu-level deaths in this film. So we're going to go through the main Guardians and see who we think is going to make it through and who's not. I will say the one scene that always makes me really upset in the trailers before we get into this is when Peter Quill is like staring at someone and screaming no in what looks like next to what looks like hospital tubes. It freaks me out. So it's definitely going to happen and some people are going to bite the dust and we're going to be really morbid about it and take predictions about who it is. So starting with Peter Quill, live or die. Dead. Dead. Agreed. Gone. Bye, Peter Quill. Okay. And I'm not even mad about it. No, I mean, people loved him up until Infinity War. I think his popularity, at least in the circles in which I run, aka my friends who I forced to watch Marvel, he is not as beloved as he used to be. No, he, um, he hurts me. Yeah. I also just think, you know, Chris Pratt is doing his own thing in his career, just logistically, he's not coming back for more, and you're not going to tell me that you have a live Peter Quill who is no longer going to be a Guardian of the Galaxy, we're not going to have any more films about it. Think about the trilogies that have finished, and we know they're done trilogies. Iron Man, dead. Cap, peace out. Unclear, but definitely not, like, doing his thing. He's on the moon. Yeah. Thor, not done. Ant-Man, probably not done. In terms of at least he's going to be like, yeah, probably just, probably not done. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, but keep in mind, Thor is no longer a trilogy, so it's not closed out, and it doesn't appear Ant-Man might be a trilogy anymore either. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think Ant-Man and Thor are necessarily done with their solo films. And with that in mind, the two solo franchises that we have completed, the one character's dead and the other character is not in this universe anymore. So what I'm trying to say is like when a franchise finishes, like either the character has to go into a new franchise or they have to like be permanently taken off the board. Like nobody gets to live happy ever after here. This is the MCU. Yeah. So Peter Quill, gone. Drax, gone. Dead. Yep. We all know that Dave Batista wants out, so that's not even a question. Rocket lives. I think he lives, yeah. I agree. I think he lives, and I think we're going to see him in the future with Adam Warlock. Mantis lives. I think she will... Okay, here's my thoughts with this. If Peter dies, she lives. If she dies, Peter lives. 
fair, but here's why I think Mantis is gonna live. Oh, I think she's more likely to live, but I just, that's my thought process. No, I think that's fair. I just want to get out my reasoning here. I think you don't increase someone's power level like that, like what we saw in the holiday special where they actually got to see Mantis, like, be a baddie. You don't increase someone's power level like that if they're not going to go on and do bigger things. I've talked at length about how she's, like, actually the celestial Madonna, so, like, she has some serious storylines that are not necessarily Guardians related that I think she would be awesome for and I would actually like to see happen. She also marries King at one point. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, so she's like involved in things that are bigger than the Guardians. So I'm going to say Mantis lives because she has a lot of storytelling potential left. Also, she they just made her more powerful and like, why would you do that to a character you're going to kill off the next time you see her? Yeah. Gamora, let's just solve the problem and kill her. I couldn't agree more. I was going to say the same thing. I think she's actually going to end up dead. And I think, this is another one that's a coin toss for me, just for the sake of, I think if, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm going to jump ahead momentarily. I think if Nebula dies, Gamora won't, but if Gamora does, Nebula won't. I think we're going to see the the partners, like the pairs, I think we're going to see them getting broken up. They're siblings. Yeah. Peter and Mantis, Gamora and Nebula. Well, that's what I mean. I'm I'm expecting pain because the MCU has never given us siblings that don't one of them doesn't die that doesn't bode well for us <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's very true <laughs> anyway i agree with you i think that nebula is going to be in whatever cosmic team up we have i think her whole storyline of you know bonding with tony was a way to get us as the audience to see nebula beyond the Guardians franchise, and I think that was intentional. And I just think, really quick, jumping, because I know we got we combined them, jumping to Gamora, to your point, solve the problem, killer, but also, I, I genuinely, I think the trailers have shown us she has no stake in the Guardians. Yeah. She's just there because they pretty, it just seems that she's just there because they pretty much told her she should be, and she's supposed to be. Yeah. So in that way, I actually think we're going to see her for most of the movie seem to have no stake in these characters and then actually end up sacrificing herself for them. Ooh, fair. And that actually leads me to my other point, which is it took away the weight of her death in Infinity War. 100%. To have another version of her alive. So let's actually make her... Obviously, we know her sacrifice meant something, but like, let's really bring that home by eliminating the character. And I know that sounds like cold and callous, but like, it's true. Yeah. Like having another version of her alive means that death didn't... Her death didn't really mean anything other than the fact that she has no memories of this team, but like, she's still there. I Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Groot lives. Lives. And I'm sorry, but I think we've already been shown that, like, Groot just will live if he dies. He's just another version of himself. Like, he's, like, his son. Yeah. I also just think, like, I could see, like, Rocket and Groot, like, doing their own thing for a while. Hooking up with Adam Warlock. Hanging out with Nebula. Like, they're gonna be together. So, I think that they're both gonna live. Kraglin dies. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't see a future for him in the MCU. 
He's been a solid supporting character. I just don't think he'll ever be more than that. The only thing that I could see Kraglin surviving is because Stallone is still out, like, is going to be in this film. I could see him joining his Ravagers crew, and he is the only one who gets a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, yeah, I can get behind that. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I change change it. Kraglin lives and gets the only happy ending in this film. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the only prediction that matters. Yep. Yeah. Give me one million points when I get this one right. I think that's everybody. Am I missing anybody? No, I think that's that's all of them. All right. Sorry, character, if we forgot you, but I think we got everyone. And now for our final segment of the episode, the much much awaited for mid and end credit predictions. I gave a little think on this one earlier, but Kate, hit me with your mid first. Okay. My mid is not weird. When we get to the end, my end is pulling a lot of random strings together. (laughs) But as you guys all know, I explain it every time, but I'm still quite the stickler for thinking the mid will tie into the movie and the end will tie into something bigger. I haven't necessarily been proven wrong. I actually think the last film that came out, we followed that formula a little bit. So I'm going to stick with that. I think... Um, and this kind of goes even into the predictions of the movie itself. I think they're going to defeat Adam Warlock, and I'm going to air quote, kill him. And then I think the end of the, the or the mid credit scene will see us having him return, and who he will be returning from his regeneration cocoon. Ooh, I like it. I also think the mid credit scene is going to be Adam Warlock, but I don't think they're going to kill him. I think they're going to convert him from a follower of the High Evolutionary to someone who actually does not believe in him and recognizes that he's kind of off of his rocker. So I could actually see it being, you know, the surviving Guardians rallying behind a strong Adam Warlock to go off and do whatever's next. Whether that's, I don't even know who's still out there, to be honest, but whatever, maybe they just are the next Guardians for now until, you know, multiverse of multiverse of madness until Kang Dynasty and more of the multiversal stuff kind of starts to affect them. But that's kind of how I'm seeing it. I like yours, though. I think either one could actually happen. Yeah, I agree. All right. End credit. I'm torn on this one. I have like three different answers. So (sighs) I'm curious, though, what your crazy out there one is. Well, okay. So first, (laughs) I I always feel like I have to really give some background. First, I was really thinking about what is coming up. We have the Marvels, which I think would be too obvious to there to do an end credit related to the Marvels. I also, we've already gotten our first trailer for it. I really, like, mm, we could. It could be where they tie in the characters. I don't love it. You know, I want to, I might, I think my pick is more what I would like to see. (laughs) It is. But, like, even moving forward, like, we have Loki coming up. Uh, We've already kind of had the hint towards that. I don't expect to see something again for Loki. And why am I blanking on the last show that's... Oh, Secret Invasion. I would actually be disappointed if Secret Invasion was the end credit scene just because we already have the trailers and it's coming out relatively soon. I just... I don't really need something else. I already know the premise of the show. I wouldn't be shocked. And so what I actually think would shock me because of the background connected to the High Evolutionary with Wondagore is Wanda returning. Ooh! And that's not me just being my Wanda self. That's genuinely me being like, with the background that there is attached to all of this, 
I would actually see this being a really good way to bring her back in and then maybe even hint towards something bigger to come. Yeah, I like it. It wasn't one of my thoughts, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) You're welcome. So hearing you, I said I had three, and hearing you kind of talk about Secret Invasion, that was one of mine because I just think it's low-hanging fruit. But I think the better two options are the Marvels. I know you were like, I hope it's not, but I really think, you know, it really well could be. I could see it being an introduction to Zawai Ashton's villainous character. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, we all love a good, like, villain intro in an end credit. I'm talking about you, Thanos, so, like... You know, it has some has some vibes there. My other one that I think I would actually rather see is some sort of connection to the Eternals and Celestials, because if we don't get it in the film, I think it needs to happen where we are tying them in in some way, whether that's an actual Celestial showing up. Obviously, we saw one in Thor, but like it wasn't like really important, but like an actual Celestial showing up, any of our Eternals that we know, whether it's Pip the Troll and Star Fox, or even something a little more tangentially related, like a Black Knight, you know, he was in that film, he obviously has ties to Cersei, like, It's not necessarily a direct celestial eternal connection, but it is a connection to that film and tying it into the greater MCU. And I just think they need to do a little work there for me to keep it top of mind because right now it's just kind of sitting on its own. And other than a few things here and there, it just needs, I need a little more work from it in order to make it more important moving forward. I think it's going to be, but they need to start laying those breadcrumbs now because I'm just not, I'm not feeling connected to it. I actually really like that one a lot because, well, for one, I've already said I I really like the Turtles. I'm actually quite a fan of it. Um, So I think finally kind of bringing in that connection somewhere there, I'm there for that. And even to your point, it's kind of just hanging out there right now. And I actually think there's been a lot of rumors about uh, Eternals 2 confirmations coming soon. So, like, if you're going to make a second one, I'd kind of love to know where it connects further on. So I would not be against that at all. Cool. All right. Well, that has been our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 predictions. If you're listening to this episode on the day that it airs, there are just a few days left until the film so get excited if you haven't gotten your tickets yet get your tickets and come join us when we talk about reactions next week you can find us on your podcast platform of choice or check out our blog we're gonna have some star fox related content for all you harry styles fans on this upcoming blog as well. If you're hoping to find a way to support the show, you can go to the homepage on our blog, scroll down, and there are some options to buy some cool Marvel merch where we get a portion of the proceeds. So definitely check that out if you'd like to help us keep the show going. Make sure you guys are also following us on both Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter is Let's Talk MFT and Instagram is Let's Talk MFT. So make sure you guys are giving us a follow there to stay updated with everything we're doing and just stay updated with us as a podcast and show. So make sure you're giving that follow. And as always, lots of content, especially when the movies are coming out. A lot is going on. I want to first give the warning that I always give about a week ahead. Watch your socials a little bit just because people will be starting to see the film and you just want to watch some of those early showings that there aren't any spoilers. So just start to be a little bit more mindful of what's coming up. If you haven't gotten your tickets, make sure you are getting those. 
Um, I just saw that Marvel's doing like 25 or something free Thursday night showing. So maybe get those. I don't know. Take a look. See if there's one around you. So Definitely get your tickets if you haven't already. And as always with Marvel, keep up with all the content. Go out and watch the movie because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it.